there, and welcome to this week's episode of the Trend Report Podcast. I'm really excited that you're here for this dynamic conversation with an industry thought leader, Amanda Snyder, the president of ThinkLab. Now, if you know Amanda or her team at ThinkLab, you know that one of the things that they're most passionate about is research in our industry and about our industry. And Amanda and I chatted today a little bit about why research is so important and how the data derived from research can help business leaders make strategic decisions for the future success of their organization. And then we talked a little bit about process over product and what that really means for our industry. And Amanda made some predictions about the future of contract interiors. And she shared some really powerful statistics that I think that you're going to find very enlightening and helpful to you as you lead, as you move forward in making decisions about your business. And then lastly, we talked about the next normal and what is really happening in our industry as we begin to emerge from the COVID-19 pandemic. So I hope that you enjoy this really fun conversation with an amazing industry leader, Amanda Snyder. And hey, if you're enjoying the content that we're sharing and you're enjoying listening to our podcast, I would love it if you head on over to iTunes and drop us a five-star review and tell us what you think about the podcast and why you like it. You know, by sharing a review, you help spread the news and the word about our podcast so that other people within our industry can join in on the conversations that we're having with real people about real issues affecting the contract interiors industry. Hey, I hope you have a great day and enjoy this episode. I'm Sid Meadows, and I'm a certified professional coach, and my focus is on high performance and growth and helping my clients move into action. I'm a personal and professional development junkie, an avid podcast listener and reader, and my passion is all things contract interiors. In this podcast, I'm going to provide you with information, education, ideas, and tools to help you in your personal life, your business, and our industry. So let's have some fun. And welcome to the Trend Report Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this week's podcast. I'm really excited today to welcome my guest, who I don't really think needs much of an introduction, but I'm going to introduce her and just briefly, and then I'll let her tell you a little bit about her story and who she is. So today, I'm excited to welcome Amanda Schneider with Think Lab to the podcast. Hey, Amanda, how are you? Hey, Sid. Good to see you. It's great to see you too. We're on video, guys, so I can we can see each other, but you're only hearing us. But uh, it's really I'm really glad to have you um, here today, Amanda. I hope things are well with you and your family. For sure, for sure. Yeah. So before we jump in, like I said just a second ago, I don't think you need much of an introduction because you're great, um, a great voice in our industry. But tell the people listening who you are, what you do, and the community that you serve. Sure. So I'm Amanda Schneider, uh, founder and now president of ThinkLab. So um, we are a market research firm serving the contract interiors industry. And uh, we are about nine years old now, uh, but we're acquired in 2018 by Sandow, who's the parent company to interior design media, amongst many other brands you may be familiar with, Material Bank, Metropolis, quite a few others. Um, and so who we serve is anyone who's really interested. Uh, in the contract interiors industry. So we exist kind of at the intersection of product manufacturer and design specifier. We really study that whole ecosystem of design to help connect it back to the product manufacturer specifically, to help them improve their products, their services, or how they reach designers. Right, and so most of what you guys focus on at ThinkLab is research-based, right? For sure. For sure. But I think our approach to research is a little bit unique. You know, when people think research, you think quantitative, qualitative. We do both of those, but uh, kind of unique maybe to other research firms because of our, you know, deep roots in the design world. Uh, we also do something called generative research, um, which is kind of taking the answers to that research. If you think about quantitative, qualitative, you only get answers to the questions that you ask. And sometimes <laughs> you yeah. really want to a little bit deeper, right? So what we do is generative research as well. So it usually starts with that quantitative, qualitative, kind of a baseline, and it's okay. basically design thinking to help you solve your business challenges. So really creative thinking to, to figure out what to do about that data. Sure. So 
quantitative and qualitative are really good. They're very fact-based, right? But generative is what I'm hearing you say correctly is more creative thinking and taking what the data says to you and creating assumptions based on that data. Is that pretty accurate? Absolutely. It basically says if this is our baseline, what do we do about it? Yeah. Okay, great. So you've had a pretty amazing story as your journey through this industry. So tell us a little bit and the people listening, tell us a little bit about Amanda and her journey and how you got started and then, you know, how you got to um, Sandow, if you will. Sure. Um, I was born on a rainy day in June. Um, back that far. Um, so I'll give the, the Cliff Notes version because I know you're listening to a podcast, so you want to hear that, the quick, quick, quick story. So um, I'm a product designer by background, graduated in 2001, which was kind of the, the two recessions ago, right, sure. where there was not a lot of jobs for uh, product designers, right, coming straight out of school. So luckily, I had gotten a job with Allsteel straight out of school, and they held on to me, even though they were going through a really tumultuous time themselves, especially with their design group. So I started as a product designer, about a year in, um, really figured out that uh, at that point for where the evolution of their company was, um, designers were moving out. <laughs> they were kind of going from an in-source methodology to outsourcing at that time, and marketers were getting promoted. So about a year into my career, my boss sat me down and she asked me, uh, do you want to stay in design or go into marketing? And I'm thinking, well, designers get fired and marketers get promoted, I'll do that. <laughs> uh, okay. They helped me uh, get my MBA. Um, so I got MBA in marketing and helped them start up the first ever market research group, which is really when I look at where my passions are, what got me into design in the first place, it was really that foundation setting, writing the product briefs and things like that. So did that for them for about a year and a half, moved into a product management role for a sister company in Seattle. From there, came back and ran All Steel showrooms. So at about 25, I was managing about half of the marketing budget, had about... Um, I don't know, eight direct reports. I manage about nine facilities, uh, which was a beautiful role because it's really where I saw interior design and industrial design kind of come together. Right. Um, our challenges in a showroom, and if you've ever managed a showroom for a manufacturer, you want it to be beautiful and inspirational, but also practical for what people buy. And I saw just a lot of real challenges there um, between the product development side and the interior design side. And, and that's really a lot of what sparked what's become Think Lab today. Um, so from there, I went into an A&D role, calling on A&D because I just wanted to learn more about their world. I wanted to learn more about their process and how they think so that I could kind of be most of use to them. Did A&D sales in the Chicago market specifically for about three and a half years for a couple different companies. Um, and then um, ultimately in 2011, took what I thought was a sidestep in my career and started my own business consulting. And um, it really just snowballed, grew very organically on its own. I incorporated in 2015 and started hiring other friends in the industry to kind of come and join me and build this thing. We actually doubled our revenues year over year, every year since incorporation, uh, save one, which we actually improved our profitability that year. So I count it as a win. And, um, and then in 2018, uh, I had been blogging for the Huffington Post on workplace trends and that column closed down. So I reached out to several industry publications, Contract, Metropolis, and Interior Design. Yep. And um, obviously those stories all merged in some way uh, to be where I am today. And ultimately uh, that request for a column uh, through a strange uh, series of, of passionate discussions uh, ended in our acquisition. And uh, so we've now rebranded as Think Lab. And basically what we do now is we couple our grassroots research methodologies and our baseline knowledge of this market, especially on behalf of the product manufacturer. Mm -hmm. And we couple that with the, they reached the 11 million global reach of Sandow to yeah. kind of get, get brains and beauty and power all in one. And um, you know, we really hope to be able to impact this industry in, in many more, even bigger ways. So that's a great story. Thank you so much for sharing that. There are a couple of things that you said there that I thought were really important that I want to go back and highlight for just a second. That when you were at All Steel, you had a boss that said, hey, Amanda, you could, you know, design or marketing. And you said, oh, no, I'm going to choose marketing because those people get promoted. Sounds like it was a really, really great choice, right? Your, intu your intuition, if you will, kicking in there to go this path. But what I love about this, and this happened, came up a couple of weeks ago in another podcast that I did where the person I was talking to said exactly the same thing that you just said, which was worked for a company that helped put them through school. So also helps you get your MBA and in turn you did some things for them. Is that, that, that accurate? 
that is absolutely accurate for the, you know, the, where they were at the time. You know, I don't know where most companies are today in terms right. of helping pay for education, but if you've got a company that believes in you and recognizes future leaders and is willing, I mean, I spent my first decade with Allsteel right. because they were a company that, that looked at young talent and said, how can I develop that? So I changed roles about every year and a half, which kept me interested, kept me, my ADD personality engaged. Um, and, you know, I know a lot of companies have kind of these entrepreneurship models now, and I think that's a beautiful thing. Yeah, absolutely. And, and there are, obviously, there's a lot of challenging times right now in our industry, a lot of layoffs happening, things like that. But there are companies that will invest in you and your growth if you find the right place to be. And I think that we don't really think about that as much today as we did years ago, that the opportunity to grow your skill set with an advanced degree or even just a degree or an advanced degree that you can go work for this company and they'll help pay your way through school if you make a commitment. So to everybody listening, I would just encourage you to ask those kinds of questions if you're looking for an advanced degree because there are companies out there that will still invest in you in that way. And then look at where it kind of helped you get to, Amanda, right? That MBA. Absolutely. And I have two comments to that. One is, um, you know, it, my MBA was like the most fascinating school I went through. And I was just coming off of design school. I took a year off and then um, had to jump back into it. And let me tell you that first stats class when you've been in design school was <laughs> a bit of a brain buster. But um, there's so many foundational skills that I learned through that, that I don't care what your career is. I think an MBA is super valuable. And the second point is that um, you know, there's a lot of different options available today. You know, listen, I'm a mom of three very young boys and, and I started my company right as my second one was born. So, um, you know, there's a lot of excuses. There's a lot of reasons that we can't and in this day and age, we're busier than ever, but there's a lot more options than ever. Um, I don't know if anyone's ever looked into like Seth Godin's alt MBA, uh, on my encouragement, a girlfriend was not able to go through a full MBA program, but she did Seth Godin's Alt MBA, which was a fast track, shorter program. Her company backed her a thousand percent. So there's a lot more options you can look into besides the traditional degree route. Right. So I think the message that you're saying there and is something that I preach on a pretty regular basis is invest in yourself. Mm -hmm. You need to invest in yourself because if you don't do it, Nobody else is going to do it for you. Don't wait for people to do it. You can ask the question, will you support this? Is there tuition reimbursement or things like that? But don't, if you want to grow and you want to develop and you want to get to the next level, you've got to invest in yourself and do the work yourself and not wait for people to do it. So, and I can get on that box for hours. <laughs> well, I think there's a little something that I affectionately call constructive discontent. And if you're not happy where you are, if you're not feeling fulfilled, if you're not seeing a future where you are, I think it's harder to figure out where you want to go than it is to get there. Sure. So really having kind of taking that time for yourself to pause and say, what do I love about where I am and what do I hate about where I am? And then, I mean, I'm sure that's what you do for a living, Sid. So you probably can say this much more eloquently than me, but it's really trying to, you know, identify those things and be real with yourself to help yourself discover a plan. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because you can't, people can't tell you the, the answer to those questions. You have to do the work to discover it yourselves. And we could go down this rabbit hole for a long time here, but we won't because I want to go back to another thing that you said, um, which I found very interesting because I've known you for what, three or four years now. And you said something that um, you took a sidestep, mm -hmm. a sidestep to formulate CCG. I'm like, congratulations on taking a sidestep because what an amazing sidestep that it was. Why do you call it a sidestep though? I call it a sidestep because at that point in my life, I was overwhelmed. I had a two and a half year old uh, and a newborn. Uh -huh. <laughs> and my husband's yep. job was taking us across the country. Okay. And so it was kind of like, what's in my control? What can I change? Sure. And, um, and so I thought, well, I'll just consult while I get my feet on the ground here. And then I'll get out in the Atlanta market at the time we moved to Atlanta. Um, and you know, one of my least favorite questions is where do you see yourself in five years? You know, and, and, you know, everyone's laughing that anyone who answered that question in 2015 was grossly wrong. Right. Um, yeah. but you know, for me in my career, I have to say, this was not some grand plan that was like scripted out that I just followed. Mm -hmm. I feel like what's made my success is that I have taken every opportunity that has come to me like a dog on a bone. And, and sought it fully through. And so I think that, that sometimes we spend so much time trying to figure out where we wanna go that we're missing the opportunities that are in front of us today. So um, I think a big focus for me has been 
trying, which doesn't come naturally to me, but trying to really focus on the present, see what's in front of me and make sure that I see everything through to its fullest. Sure. Absolutely. Well, it was a really, really great decision for you to take a sidestep because <laughs> look at where you got today. And what I love about that was you see the opportunity, you go for it. You're a dog on a bone. I'm quoting you there, a dog on a bone, right? And you see it through to the end. And, you know, and I talk to a lot of people about you've got to craft your own journey. And that's exactly what you did. And guess what, guys? It is absolutely 100% okay if it's not perfect because you can do things and because there's the greatest lessons come from the biggest learning opportunities, right? And I, um, I was listening to a podcast a couple of weeks ago and the guy on the podcast, he works with people that are building businesses, right? He's, he's an, he focuses on entrepreneurs and he basically was talking about success and failure. And he was talking about you either get the results you want or wanted or the lesson that you needed. I love it. Because he's like, there's no such thing as failure. You either get the results or you get the lesson and take the lesson and keep moving forward. And what it sounds like to me and, after, and, and following you, you've done that very, very well and adapted and changed and kept moving forward to build CCG now into Think Lab. And I mean, you guys are doing some really, really great things. We're going to talk about some of our research and stuff in a few minutes. So kudos to you, Amanda. Thank you. All right. So let's dive into a little bit about research. Why research? Sure. So it's very interesting in this industry. Um, and, and we talk about why research because this is an industry that is run largely on gut. We don't have a lot of data to go from. And, and it's funny because having done this for nearly a decade, I can spot people that come from the consumer side of the industry in an instant right? Because they're used to having a lot of data and we talk to them. We're talking to a lot of, you know, there's more CEOs and understand that, that since we've become part of Sandow, we're beyond furniture. So, you know, we're talking to lighting CEOs and carpet and flooring and wall covering and building cladding and you name it, right? Um, but as we talk to these CEOs that come from outside the industry, they're like, how is there not more information, more data on the industry? And, and this is something that I can't make happen fast enough, uh, personally, from my perspective. So what we're trying to do is, is build a more data-based approach to business decisions in this industry. Um, we believe that the quality of the decisions you make is only as good as the data that you have. And our goal is to get you better data. Okay. Okay. And so can you give us an example of like some of the data that you've been or some of the research that you've been doing and what the data has said to you or the data has said to you? Sure. So I think one of the easiest ones to talk about in this day and age and at the time of this recording, um, you know, this is we're in early July of 2020. Yep. And it's no secret that 2020 has kind of gone off the rails from the way that anybody would have expected it. So we've been researching uh, the way that the coronavirus has impacted the design industry specifically. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it, it's no secret that economically this has been one of the most severe and profound and, and sudden impacts to, to our, our global economy, for sure, our U.S economy for sure. So we've been studying really kind of how that has hit the, uh, the design industry specifically mm -hmm. to look at things like, you know, layoffs and furloughs. You know, basically what we're doing is we're kind of hearing from the industry, both on the design side and the manufacturer side. What do you want to know? Uh, in the early days, it was like, oh man, you know, people are coming off the 2008, 2009 recession and they're thinking, you know, I got to act fast, act early, right? That's the lesson everybody learned from that recession. So, so they wanted to know what other people are doing. So this measures things like layoffs and furloughs and, and hiring and firing and everything in between to try and help people understand what their peers are doing. We look at things like projects on hold and moving forward and canceled, right? Because obviously this specific impact has had some pretty profound uh, changes to specifically the commercial side, but also the residential side, right? As we, as we look at how things are being affected. So we look at that. Um, and then we also look at bid activity because that's our chance to kind of get a little bit more forward looking to sure. say what might things look like in Q3, Q4. And that one really came from, you know, people saying it's, Great to understand what's happening now, but I'm more worried about my business Q3, Q4 and into 2021. Like, how do I know what's coming there? So it was a great chance to really kind of measure what's happening in the industry and really to overlay what we're seeing uh, in the economy as it relates to the design industry. Okay, so what's this survey called that you're doing? This is called the Industry Impact Survey. Excellent. And so if 
those people that are listening aren't familiar with the survey and would like to participate in it, where can they go to participate in the survey? And you're still running it, right? We are still running it. So we're, our goal is to kind of keep this open throughout this recession. You know, I hope that we're starting to go into recovery, but obviously the virus may have different plans. So it kind of depends on where we go. Um, if you follow me on LinkedIn, um, Amanda Schneider, um, you can find me on LinkedIn and I post it there every so often. Uh, you do have to take the survey in order to get the results. But if you take the survey, we freely share the results every, every time we okay. send it. So. And is the link to the survey on Think Labs website as well? Uh, it is not on the website right now, but we will, maybe we can follow up something in the show notes. Is yeah, that absolutely. We can put a link to it in the show notes. So anybody that's listening that hasn't seen the survey or hasn't participated in the survey, your role in your involvement in participating in the survey helps to make the data even better. So if you have not participated, please go participate in this and click the link. I'll put it in the show notes so that you can actually go out there and do it. So Amanda, what was it so far? I think you're, the last one that I saw was week 11. So what's been the most surprising takeaway from that, that the data said to you that was like, oh, wow. Yeah, and I don't know that any of it has been surprising um, other than it's comforting to me. It's like a, like a big old Excel massage for, for someone who loves data, right? So I feel like a lot of times we can leverage data to really kind of explain what you're seeing in numbers. And again, help to give you that fact-based um, foundation to, to kind of jump right. up, right? Okay. So I think we've seen some interesting patterns in, in terms of layoffs, you know, manufacturers in this specific recession laid off much faster than AD, which I think most recessions are the opposite, right? Because right. manufacturers activity tends to kind of lag AD. So this was a really interesting one because of the severity and the suddenness. Mm -hmm. um, we saw things like small, small businesses, uh, both on the design and manufacturing side were much more impacted, much more severely, much sooner than the large ones. Sure. Um, we're seeing things like bid activity. So many of the manufacturers, we see that, um, you know, their, their bid activity has definitely slowed, but hasn't stopped. So um, the percentage of manufacturers saying that their bid activity has stopped has not gone above, let's say, 4% uh, in the highest of weeks in that 11 weeks of measure. But when we look at A&D, their bid activity, those answering our survey that are saying their bid activity has completely stopped, wow. has not dropped below 20%. Okay. Right. So, so that to me is a huge indicator and, and I have a passion for the manufacturer. So I'm thinking about it from their terms. That tells me that we are going to see kind of some, some more pain down the road that a lot of what the activity that is happening at the manufacturer is, um, is kind of, um, I guess, backlogs that they're still kind of working through. And although they've had more project cancellations, they still have activity going. But that bid activity discrepancy says that there's more pain to come, unfortunately. Yeah, and I think we saw a little bit of that pain this past week with the sales reports from Herman Miller and from Steelcase, which were, I think, shocking for all of us to mm -hmm. see. That those are the only two that I've heard that have posted those, and they were significant double-digit reduction in sales, which I think shocked a lot of people. But mm -hmm. I, I'm agree. I totally agree with you that there's more pain to come, and mm -hmm. understanding what we can do and what innovation looks like and how do we keep moving forward. And so, which takes us actually to our next topic. So thanks mm -hmm. for sharing about that. And remember guys to check the show notes for the link to the survey, okay? But, so let's talk about process and product and your thoughts about innovation, if you will, of those two things. Yeah, and I'll kind of tie these two together with, you know, your comments about the downturn. You know, I think most companies right now on the manufacturer side, and this is anecdotal, we did add some questions coming up. So, so our full official report outs on this will be uh, forthcoming. Um, but I estimate that most companies anecdotally are somewhere between 20 and 30 percent down um, mm -hmm. projections for the year off of where they expected to be. Um, that's anecdotal at this point, but um, early confirmation from some of the, the data coming in on that survey. Yeah. So as we look at this process versus product, because this really gets to disruption, right? And uh, there's a lot of negativity around a downturn and it's easy to get focused on that glass half empty. But the beauty about kind of this downturn and this uncomfortable space that we're in is I think our industry has never been open to innovation um, more than right now right? Because everyone's feeling the pain in their own way. So if you can come in and make it easier on those specifiers, make it easier on those customers, if you can make someone's life easier in this painful period of time, that is innovation right there. 
Right. This process versus product. Something I say in a lot of the speaking I do is the biggest future innovation in this industry will not come from product. And consider the irony in that because I'm a product designer. Sure. <laughs> it will come from process innovation, right? And it doesn't mean we don't have to design great products. We've always done that. We should continue to do that. But as we look at this process innovation, if you look at how the likes of Uber disrupted the taxi industry, they didn't drive better cars, you know, Airbnb and how they disrupted the lodging industry. You know, they didn't build a better hotel, right? What they did is they looked at the process and they reduced friction. And I feel like in this Amazon era where everyone wants everything faster and cheaper and better, and you don't want to make trade-offs with those three. Um, and, and as you know, I'm sure many of your listeners tuned into a lot of the CBRE furniture forum research that we did circa 2017, there is a lot of opportunity to make things easier there. And um, I think that this is a beautiful time to do it because I think our industry is more open now than ever. Well, and I totally agree with you. And I think disruption is actually a really good thing. It's not easy to disrupt. Let's be clear about that. It, because you, you meet a lot of resistance when you try to do things differently than the way that we've always done things. And we definitely are an industry that has stayed in the same cycle and the same path for a very, very long time in the way that we do things, right? Which makes us ripe for disruption. So I have a question for you. I want to set this question up, okay? So yesterday, um, we were driving back from our um, summer vacation, and so for the, what, 13-hour drive, I pretty much listened to podcasts the whole time, and um, because I love podcasts, and I listen to this podcast about talent development, because I'm really passionate about helping people develop, so I was listening to this podcast about talent development, and there was an interview with a researcher, and her name is Kate Sweetman, okay, and Kate is a partner in a company called Sweetman Cragen. And she recently completed a research project with Harvard University about um, leadership and the future of leadership and disrupting leadership. And one of her key takeaways from it was that leaders have to move beyond employee engagement and, and move to recalibrate that to employee inspiration and inspiring your employees to really do great and amazing things. Now, we're not going to talk about her research because I just actually literally this morning ordered her book because I was so fascinated about this research that I can't wait to dive in to learn more about what they said. But what got me was the first question that she asked every responder to the research. And they surveyed companies and CEOs and chief people officers all around the world, right? And the very first question, I'm going to ask you this very this question, okay? I'm getting so, nervous. No, don't. It's all right. It's good. You're going to have a great response to it. So if Elon Musk or Jeff Be Bezos said targeted our industry for disruption, what would they do? So fascinating. Um, and this is, um, so I know I turned you on to Adam Grant too. Yes. And yep. he's got a really great book called The Originals that focus on, on this very same thing. Um, and, and one of the exercises they do is uh, called kill the company. They talk about it in that. That's very, very similar. Okay. So kill the company is about switching your team from uh, defensive mode to offensive mode. Right. And it basically does the same thing. It says, like, let's go in and let's plan um, to we are you have all the internal knowledge that you have right now. Uh, and, and how are you going to kill our company? And right. basically, kind of what we talked about before, creating this entrepreneurship model to kill the company. Sure. So here's my answer. Okay. So question. So my answer is I would absolutely look at process. We do a ton of process mapping. Mm -hmm. And that's what was so fascinating about the CBRE Furniture Forum is really looking at where those pain points are within a given process. If you look at the customer's journey and kind of how they go through this mm -hmm. and really identify those pain points, um, for them, it's very confusing, right? The process is very long. There's a lot of kind of required knowledge that, that has to kind of come into this industry to really understand, you know, like list pricing. Like nobody would, would ever create this list pricing model that we have, right, if they created it today. So, um, so to me, I think that the biggest thing any company wants to do that can innovate is really try to identify a, a key client. Like who is the client that you're going to get, that's going to get you out of this, right? Um, I, I know... I won't go into that too much, but um, I know a lot of people are looking in unexpected places, right? Because as things kind of contract, we've got to get smarter about kind of where we're focusing. 
And then I would even uh, challenge you to get a group of them in the room because it's, it's one thing said for you and I to sit here and presuppose that we understand, uh, you know, their journey and what it was like for them. But people maybe that have recently, you know, purchased product for interiors or purchased, you know, furniture, maybe through a traditional dealer or something like that and, and, and map out that process for them and what was confusing and what was frustrating and what was time consuming. And I think that time consuming piece is the biggest one because nobody's got time today, right? We're in meetings all day. Now they're on Zoom. They used to be in the office, right? And then you're catching up at night while your kids are asleep. And um, so I think if you can find those areas of pain, it really, again, lets you know where you are able to, um, you know, make improvement, where that innovation can happen. So I'm curious, Amanda, why do you think that people in our industry are so hesitant to embrace change or disruption of the way we've always done things. Because if we go to like Elon Musk, for example, he would turn our industry upside down. I mean, he's such a visionary and such a disruptor. Jeff Bezos as well, right? But why, why, are, we, why are we so resistant to that as an industry? Well, I think it's, it's twofold. Um, I think one is because change is uncomfortable, right? Change requires you to step out of a world that you're comfortable in, that you know, and into a world that you don't know. You know, I know I'm good at this world over here, but once I step out of that, I may or may not be good at that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Adam Grant talks a lot about this in his originals book too. I think our corporate structure is really um, focused on a lack of failure, right? A fear of failure. And I think that if you can create cultures, I think this goes back to some things that you were saying where people aren't afraid to fail, um, that can happen, right? It's, it's a lot easier. All right. Um, so I want to, so the, the two things here, real growth whether it's personal, professional, or company growth, real growth happens outside of your comfort zone. When you are in a place where you just don't have all the answers, that's where real creativity and real innovation and real growth comes from, is being outside of what you're used to doing on a daily basis. So I, let's get outside our comfort zone and let's go, right? And the second thing is, I'm gonna agree what I, what I mentioned about what I heard in that podcast, Either you get the result you wanted or the lesson that you needed. You know, I, I don't believe there's any such thing as failure. I only believe that there's things as learning. And so I talk to people all the time about when something doesn't go exactly the way you wanted it to go, ask yourself four questions, okay? The first question is, what went right? Because something always went right. Whatever you were doing, something part of it went right. So what went right? Then ask yourself, what went wrong? So maybe it didn't go as perfect, but what went wrong? And then I think the next question was the most important question is what did I learn from that process? What did I learn? And cause you need to understand the learning in order to move forward, which is what the fourth question is, is what am I going to do differently the next time? Mm -hmm. How am I going to adapt and learn and grow and do it differently the next time so that I get a better result, right? And so that's the questions you have to ask yourself when you're trying to innovate and we're trying to do something different. And I think it's iterative, you know, that to me is the other piece. You know, I think that it's easy to think about success in terms of success and failure in black and white, you know, but I've had the fortune um, to watch Material Bank kind of rise up, you know, as Talk part of the Talk about disrupting. Talk I mean, about disruption. Yeah. And, and let me tell you what I've seen there is I've seen a very clear vision from mm -hmm. Adam Sandow you know, and um, I think that he has not been afraid. I see in our industry a lot. Sometimes people are afraid to step on toes a little bit. Yeah. Um, he has not done it in a, in a negative way in any way, sure. but more with getting partners on board and really listening and hearing them. And, you know, that platform has evolved a lot too. So it's iterative, you know, it's, we started here and we couldn't do this, this, and this, but we could do that, that, and that. So we did those first. And then once people got in a comfort zone with those three things, then we expanded, you know, to three more things. Right. And, and I've seen them really in, innovate, I'm sorry, innovate via iteration sure. and clear vision. And I think that those two things are really important as well. So I, um, last year, 2019 Neocon, I had the opportunity to listen to him speak. Um, I went to his speak that he was doing and, you know, admittedly I had seen material bank on the first floor um, and I didn't really understand what it was. And then when I listened to him talk about it and then he showed the actual product and then he showed the box that inverted to a, with a prepaid label to send it back. 
and mm -hmm. he talked about the strategy behind where they're located and why they're next door to Federal Express. And I was just like, oh my gosh, what an amazing idea. And mm -hmm. if, if anybody listening does not know who Material Bank is, please go look them up because talk about leading disruption in a very positive way doing really good things. You need to go learn about that business. Well, and that's a shameless plug here. You know, this is why I believe so much in research, you know, and we were not we were not part of CNN when they were doing this original research, yeah. so I can't take credit for that. But this is exactly what we can do for companies that are listening on this call, right? Sure. Is is the reason that Material Bank was so successful is because they understood the designers' challenges, right? Back to that process mapping, back to recognizing those challenges. They understood where those designers were wasting time. They also understood on the manufacturer side where those pain points were. And they were able to find mutually beneficial solutions to answer both. And that's where the beauty of innovation came from. And, and that's what we could do to help other businesses as well as help you get connected to the design community around whatever your category is understand what those pain points are um, and then try to help you through that generative research kind of find those mutually beneficial solutions the, the thing that my biggest takeaway there from what you just said is what's the problem that you solve what's the problem that you solve and understanding that is so important for any business for any individual for any entrepreneur whatever it is you're doing you've got to understand the problem that you solve or moving forward in your business is going to be really tough and you're going to stay inside your comfort zone doing the same thing that you've always done. And you're never going to experience, in my opinion, anyway, you're never going to experience real growth. Mm -hmm. right? mm -hmm. so it's pretty phenomenal. So Amanda, what's, what do you think is next? Like what's the next normal in our industry? Because as we've talked about, there's been lots of changes and lots of things happening and January versus July, the outlook is completely different in our industry. So, what do you think's next? Well, I'd love to end this on a little bit of a positive note, uh, especially since most of the research I just shared was a bit of doom and gloom, right? So maybe glass half empty. And, and I think that the beauty of this is that, that we can really decide how we want to come out of this. You know, I think that, um, you know, there were things that we all recognized were broken that maybe we were frustrated by before. And I guess we now have the power to kind of be the change that we want to see. Mm -hmm. And this is where I get really excited about kind of the power of design and coming out of a pandemic, especially this pandemic that uh, really requires people to feel comfortable in space again to reemerge, right? To look at this economic reemergence. And obviously that assumes that a lot of the virus is behind us and maybe a vaccine, maybe, I don't know, whatever. But um, I think it's really powerful to be a part of this industry right now because I think it's design and design thinking that's really going to help us kind of figure this out and how to do it in a way that's comfortable for everyone and not in a way that's scary or, you know, time stamped as that was clearly, you know, post COVID. I look at, you know, the three recessions that I've been a part of, you know, in 2001, we, we're never going to look at security again, the same way again, right? We, we still have that, you see something, say something that's still around and prevalent throughout, you know, even today. Uh, from the 2008 recession, I think we all learned some important lessons. Uh, we're never going to look at finances the same way again, right? So, so something, I heard a statistic that said prior to that recession, um, the average amount that every... American household saved was nothing and post-recession it's 6% of their income or something like that. Um, and, and I think that even businesses haven't looked at their finances the same way again, which is one reason that so many of them are, are more cash rich going into this recession. Sure. And then from this one, I don't think we're ever going to look at hygiene the same way again. You know, I look at things like, um, you know, we were in this resumercial, um, um, trend, and I know everyone hates that word, but we're in this resumercial trend where kind of the, the comfort of home and soft materials and warm, cozy spaces was the thing. And I'm eager to see how the design industry solves when our new comfort is cleanable. Um, how will those two aesthetics emerge? And how will we make space, public space, feel comfortable for everyone to kind of reemerge into it, um, but not be time stamped? I think it's going to be fascinating to watch this unfold. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And I love how you just took us on a journey of the last three economic recessions, right? Where the first one, just for repeating it, is we never looked at security differently after um, 2001 ever, right? And then 2008 taught us about savings and how to get our finances in order and have more money in the bank. And this one, you are spot on. This one really highlighted hygiene. And what how how lax we got as humans in everything we touched and everything that we did and you know i was at <clears throat> excuse me i was at the beach this past week and everything 
was credit card only, no cash. And I always have cash, unlike my wife who never has cash, but I always have cash because I was taught that way, I was brought up that way to have cash. Well, I still have every penny of it because nobody took cash. They only took credit cards. And I was talking to this um, person checking me out about not taking cash. And she said, you don't realize how dirty money is and how many different things, you know, people and things have been touched. And it's a whole new perspective about hygiene and what you do, how much you wash your hands, how much you use hand sanitizer. Now, I mean, all these different things, what all the surfaces that we touch on a daily basis, it's a whole new enlightenment for that. And so I love how you brought us through those three and it is going to be fascinating to see how our industry responds with product spaces and design and, you know, finishes and materials to support truly a healthier work environment. I mean, now the definition of healthier work environment has a completely different meaning because before it was about healthy as in physical health, right? Meaning the way you sit and your body movement and the air the quality and that you breathe and all that. Now that healthier workplace has a completely different meaning with it as well. It's clean. Absolutely. And I would say that that's maybe a silver lining of this as well, right? Every cloud has a silver lining. Sure. Um, I would say that, you know, just the awareness of this whole industry, you know, I, I don't know about you, but um, when someone asks you what you do at a family reunion, aren't you a little bit like, <sighs> how do I explain this underworld of office furniture, you know, that exists or underworld of whatever product category you are. And, um, and so I feel like, you know, from, from, you know, fortune articles and Forbes articles and Harvard business review, you know, everyone's eyes are on the office specifically because that's such a key part of this recovery, but also our healthcare systems, also our schools, right? No, at no point in history, I think, have we ever been so aware of space. So what a beautiful time to be part of this. Yeah, absolutely. And to help contribute to what it looks like tomorrow. So with that, what kind of predictions does Amanda and ThinkLab, what kind of predictions do you have? Sure. Well, let me leave with three. Um, and I will say the first one I already kind of talked about that I believe clean will be the new comfort. Okay. You know, I do think, again, these lasting hygiene concerns. I know, uh, again, as a mother of three little boys, I'm not looking at space the same way. So how do I know that a space is, is safe to kind of come into? What are those visual cues that without sparking fear, make it feel safe. I think materiality will be a huge discussion moving forward. There's a lot of innovation and research happening on that right now. Uh, and you know, we're learning a lot about cleanability right now. I know I've heard from several manufacturers too, they're discovering things about their own product when harsh cleaners are used on them, how it kind of negates some of the things that have been done. So I think we're gonna see a pretty vast shift in materiality when it comes to the product. Uh, the second one is I think flexibility will be king. And this um, is true of all spaces. I think it's easy to look at in terms of the workspace, um, but I think this is gonna extend into our hospitals, into our um, education systems. I think it's even gonna extend into our homes as we're looking at things, you know, like we've learned how to uh, have two families working and homeschooling from the same space and maybe even working out in it, right? So it's extending to all forms of this. But one of the most impactful calls that I listened to really early on, it was probably mid-March, uh, CBRE has been doing these flash calls. Um, and there was one where they talked about kind of the top three concerns on, on landlords' minds. Mm -hmm. And one of the top three was that the traditional office lease is not flexible enough for the future. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I personally believe this work from home is here to stay. Um, I'm seeing a lot of companies just really open their minds. I don't think it will be as intense and immersive as this experience has been. You know, this is not normal working from home, let me tell you. Kids at home is a whole new ball game, right? Um, yes, it is. <laughs> but I do think many more companies are going to see the benefit. Uh, I think there's potential to, you know, like we're, we're seeing it in companies like Twitter and Facebook and, you know, a lot of tech companies. But we're also seeing, I just listened to a podcast um, over the weekend that was about nationwide insurance and Columbus, Ohio is shutting down five offices, you know, so this is not limited to the tech companies and the headlines. And I think the flexibility of that lease will really have a big effect on the product manufacturers. Because if we're making product that lasts 20 years and a traditional lease right now is five to seven years, you know, and again, back to that process innovation, what happens and how do we make that product flex a bit more? Yeah. 
And then the third one, kind of again, talking to our product partners on this phone uh, or on this podcast is I would say that B2B is gonna start to look a lot more like B2C. And this is something, again, we've been tracking for a while and uh, we like to say the future looks a lot less scary when you realize it's the path we've already been on. And um, I think as we look at, we talked a lot about kind of process mapping and finding pain points and reducing friction and all of this. And um, if you look at uh, the process of a B2C sale, it's much further ahead. There's some great research out there about kind of comparing the two that says B2B is, is much more complex. There's generally lower customer satisfaction scores because there's typically more stakeholders. It's just generally harder but that's not an excuse. And and buyers in our everyday life, we are getting accustomed to digitized, frictionless experiences as consumers. And I think more and more they're gonna demand those on the B2B side. We're not gonna go to work and say, you know, I expect to, you know, have somebody roll up with a clipboard and sign a PO, you know, not saying we're there, but um, you know, I, I think there's a lot of innovation to be had. And, and again, I think that's an exciting thing. Okay, so those are great predictions. I'm gonna recap them real quick. You said, you know, clean is the new comfort. <clears throat> you talk a lot about materiality there. You talk about flexibility, and I really believe in that one and being flexible with where you work, how you work, and when you work. Um, and then about the traditional office lease changing from 20 to five years, which will have a huge impact on the products that we manufacture, how we manufacture them, and then B2B moving more like and acting more like B2C. And I think all those are, are very, very viable. And I think that if you're listening, you should be paying attention to what Amanda just said in those predictions. Because and if you are not looking at ways in your business to adapt and to change you're going to be left behind. And I'm sorry to be the one to tell you that you're going to be left behind if you're not looking at ways to adapt to these predictions. Because look, if there's anybody that has their pulse on the future of our industry and what's happening and what people are saying about it, she's on this podcast right now, guys. And you should listen to what she's saying because for years, Amanda and her team have researched where our industry is headed and she's got the data to prove it. And so those predictions are solid. Thank you for sharing them. And can I close us out with yeah. kind of one more thought, you know, yeah. and, and I already started talking about this a little bit, but, you know, again, I, I believe very much as a designer by background in the power of design to bring us out of this. And I think it's, you know, very exciting. Uh, I do think that the design industry and, and I'm looking at the whole ecosystem, thinking about corporate real estate and A&D and dealers and manufacturers and distributors and you name it. Um, we're in a period of rapid evolution with eyes on an industry also comes more change. So we've got to be ready at that and ready for that. And again, you're either going to be part of that change and driving that change or the change will happen to you. Mm -hmm. um, so you've got to decide which side of that occasion, kind of which side of that you want to be on. And yep. again, I want to reiterate, as we look at kind of the fear that's been associated with this pandemic and trying to come out of this, I believe in the power of design to kind of help us do that. And, and I want to close you out with some stats because I'm a research geek here to just really talk about the power of designers. Uh, you know, we have recently calculated, we've got something called the hot market growth coming out soon, hot market growth report that really looks at geographies that are growing, vertical markets that are growing, um, and um, as well as product categories that are growing. And we have a pre-pandemic benchmark as well as a best we can predictions based on early indicators right now of how those things are changing. But one thing has not changed is really the power of these designers in product specifications. So our data tells us uh, the average designer has about 12 and a half times the specification power as the average American consumer has buying power. Like I wanna say that again, 12 and a half times. And if you get into the top 200, Interior Design Magazine does all the giants of design, my team does all of that research on their behalf. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's as much as 85 times. If you look at fabric and flooring and, and all the product categories that they, they um, specify, right? So that's very important for the product manufacturers. I do think that, you know, where they're employed is starting to shift a little bit and that's interesting to kind of follow. Some of this ecosystem might shift a little bit, but the power of designers in terms of product specification, if you can empower them to do their jobs effectively is still very, very profound and will remain so. That's awesome. And those are big statistics, by the way. Absolutely. Sometimes the buying power, that is like big statistics. So Amanda, I appreciate all the information that you shared and it's been a pleasure having you on the podcast today, but 
You actually have a little podcast in the works on your side of the fence over there, don't you? Tell us we about do. it. We do, we do. So we have an intern from Northwestern joining us who is just so passionate about the audio um, side of this world. So we're thrilled that she's joining us to kind of help explore it. So uh, it will be called Design Nerds Anonymous. Um, which is kind of our, our funny name to really talk about what it is that we do. Uh, design is very sexy. You see things like interior design, just the sexy side of design, these beautiful spaces. Mm -hmm. But there's also kind of this uh, funny little underbelly of design um, that's kind of the business side of design. And um, on this podcast, we'll really explore a lot of those, kind of this intersection of business and design, really trying to spark curiosity for disruption and what's happening. Um, and so, you know, we're really thrilled to be launching that. It should be out this fall. We'll have four episodes this round, and then hopefully we'll find a way to continue it from there. Well, that's awesome. I'm excited to have you join the podcast crowd. Um, I think it's great. I'm an avid podcast listener, so I'm anxious to listen to yours when you get it out. So it's called the Design Nerds Anonymous. You got it. Have it out in the early fall. So, hey, guys, be listening and watching for this podcast because everything Amanda does actually turns out pretty great. And I have no doubt this one's going to be pretty great along with it. So Amanda, uh, again, thank you for being here today. If anybody on this call or anybody on this call, anybody listening to this podcast today is not already connected with you, how, what's the best way for them to connect with you and, and follow you? So I'll give you two options. One is I'm a big LinkedIner, so you can always find me on LinkedIn and I would love to connect you with you there. Uh, just let me know you've heard this podcast and I'll be sure to accept there. Uh, the second thing is if you go to our website, thinklab.design, um, in the top right hand corner is a join in button. Uh, and you can click to join in there and that you can, you know, stay up to date on all of our research as it's released. Um, you know, of course, we'd be happy to send you marketing newsletter, things like that. If you're a designer and listening, you can also um, register there and that will, um, you know, get you on a research list. If you want to kind of take part in driving industry change, we welcome you to be a part of us. Well, that's awesome. And so Amanda laid out the rules already, but everybody knows that's listening that when you're connecting with people that you heard on the podcast that you don't know on LinkedIn, you need to be sure and let them know that how you heard about them. So um, and Amanda laid those rules out for you already. So Amanda, again, thank you for being here today. It was awesome to have you. And um, I look uh, forward to uh, continuing to see and watch all the great things you guys at Think Lab are doing. All right. Thanks, Sid. Take care. Thanks so much for joining me today inside the Trend Report Podcast. I hope that you got some amazing value out of today's conversation and some tips and tricks that you can implement in your life and your career. And hey, if you're enjoying this podcast, be sure to drop a comment down below and let me know what you think. And if you've got some ideas of topics that we should talk about or guests that we should interview, please feel free to shoot me an email at info at embark-cct.com. And for more information about me and what we do as an organization, the products and services that we provide, please feel free to visit our website at sidmeadows.com. Take care and we'll see you soon.